Good morning, everyone. You're tuned to Community Radio 3CR. Time is just after 7.30. Yes, folks, you heard right. Daylight saving <laughs> did end uh, in the middle of the night uh, or in the wee hours of this morning. And so uh, if you haven't done so already and you're up, put your clocks back one hour. Um, it's always full back. So... Um, so it is 7.30, it's the 3CR Gardening Show of course because it's Sunday morning and uh, we're all in the studio here all ready and willing to, to go. First up we've got to say a very good morning to Stephen Ryan from Dixonia Rare Plants. Morning Stephen. Good morning everybody and at least it is still Sunday even if the time has changed. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know, I always find these Sundays where the clock goes the one way or the other slightly fraught. I often don't sleep well the night when I've changed the clocks, just in case I did it wrong. You know, so you, you sort of get panicky about things. Uh, this morning, though, I was running late nonetheless, even though I had an extra hour in bed, and then they closed the freeway on me, so it was a bit fraught getting in here. I know. But now I'm here, and I made it in time, so that's all that matters, I guess, at the end of the day. And it looks like going to be a lovely day. It does. There were eight balloons up this morning when I drove down uh, from Macedon. Uh, we were looking for balloons, and we didn't see them at our way. So oh, no, there were eight up, on, uh, and they were quite low. Uh, in oh, fact, when you got down to... Um, uh, the river coming along the freeway and you sort of go dip down into that dip. They all disappeared. They were down below the hills around you. So, oh, right. So they weren't terribly high up. Well, uh, but there were, I counted eight this morning. So, okay. Okay. Um, and it looked like a lovely morning to be out in a balloon. They were probably down low because of daylight saving. Yeah, well, yeah, they, yeah, they hadn't got up quite uh, early enough or something. I don't know. But anyhow, it was nice to see them out because uh, the last few weeks when we've been coming down here, of course, it's been dark. On the way down. That's right. Wasn't it lovely to be light? But it won't last. <laughs> no, it goes it off very last. quickly. It'll only be a few weeks and then we'll be back to dark when we get up in the morning to come down to 3CR. But there you go. Absolutely. Um, now that you've heard a bit of muttering in the background. <laughs> muttering. <laughs> muttering. Uh, we must say good morning to Gwen and Roger Elliott. Good morning, officially, you two. Good, good morning, morning to everyone. everyone. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So lots and lots to talk about this morning, of course. And... Uh, in particular, for listeners, if you want to ask questions about uh, Australian native plants this morning while we have Gwen and Roger in the studio, um, get ready to jump on the lines as soon as we open our talkback line for callers. We've but, even got um, something that's non-native too. And yes. Stephen's got some natives. Yes, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, so, so. A mixed garden patch. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit odd this morning. I don't morning, know what's happening this morning, yeah. but anyway, I'm sure if we have calls about exotics, Stephen, you'll have no, to look, with I'll, a plum. I'll step in even though I've brought natives down to talk of about this morning. Of course you will. Of course you will. Okay, I'm going to get straight on to some community announcements because there's still a lot happening. People haven't closed down for autumn yet, even though it's it's suddenly got a lot cooler. I guess mm-hmm. um, it didn't help that I've been up in northern New South Wales for nine days and it was so humid and wet yeah. because it's their wet season. It's coming early. Mm. Um, well, I'm glad you're not still up there, otherwise you might not have got back. Well, we only just got out because we we flew out on Monday afternoon mm. and then we heard the next day they'd closed the airport at Coolangatta. So we just got out and now, of course, they've been besieged with floods. Oh. Um, my daughter, who we went up to visit, has now her whole street apart from her house has been flooded. They're up to their knees in um, oh, water. So me. um I'm very glad I'm back in Melbourne. <laughs> yes, yes, we do seem to have a slightly more benign sort of climate in a way, don't we? Certainly do. Okay, on to some community announcements. First up, of course, it's the first Sunday in the month. That means uh, Villa Alba have got their open day again. Uh, they're at 44 Walmer Street in Kew. Melway's reference there, 44H6. Both the historic house and the RJ Hamer Heritage Garden are open. 
That's 1 o'clock through till 4 o'clock. Admission is $10, concession of $8. Children are free. There's an afternoon tea available uh, with a $3 donation. And I've got a little note here that next... uh, Next uh, month, on Sunday the 7th of May, as well as opening up the house and garden, they're going to have two separate tours um, at no additional cost. So at 1.30, Andrew Thorne will describe the archaeology of the house and its decoration. And at 2.45, Mrs Jessie Searle will outline the reconstruction of the garden, articulating the marriage between archaeological evidence and the plants available at the time. So uh, that's all going to be happening next month, not today, but next month out at Villa Alba. So I will remind listeners um, as uh, we get closer to that date. Uh, Now, also happening today, up at Cloud Hill, um, Ian Maher will be up in the gardens um, doing some of his uh, special lettering that he does. Yes, those rock letters. His rock letters are amazing. Beautiful, really stunning. So he will actually, they've they've, they've set a new piece into the the green um, theatre there. But uh, Ian will be actually working on a new piece today. So if anyone wants to go and have a look at how it's done or talk to him or commission a piece mm. or whatever, um, that's your opportunity to go up to Cloud Hill today to have a look. Cloud Hill, of course, is at 89 Alinda Monbulk Road there in Alinda. Now, uh, also a reminder that uh, Bishop's Court is open for um, Open Gardens Victoria Uh, It's open 10 a.m. this morning through to 4.30. Entry price is $8. Uh, Under 18s free. Students $5. And, of course, Bishop's Court was founded in 1848 and is one of the oldest properties in East Melbourne. It was the official, or it still is, the official residence of the Anglican Archbishop of Melbourne. And uh, in the last 16 years, they've had a very dedicated group of volunteers um, who've established regular working bees and made massive efforts to restore and breathe new life into the garden. There'll be tea and coffee, a sausage sizzle and plant sales at the garden opening and uh, proceeds from the opening will go towards the ongoing maintenance and upkeep of the garden there at Bishop's Court. Now, the address is 84 to 122 Clarendon Street in East Melbourne. And while I'm talking about Open Gardens Victoria, next weekend we have two gardens coming up. The first one is the Cottage Garden in Glen Waverley. It's at 2 Lily Street in Glen Waverley. Again, open Saturday and Sunday of next weekend, 10 till 4.30 both days. Again, entry of $8 with the usual concessions. And uh, this one is uh, a, a compact cottage garden uh 75 different varieties of roses feature in the garden they've got an extensive collection of salvias um in autumn the garden has a right of color including various plectranthus and uh the rear of the garden is also uh more roses perennials raised garden beds and a dozen fruit trees underplanted with shade loving plants so that's uh the cottage garden in glen waverley to lily street the other garden that's opening next weekend is uh, Elion, which is at 59 Ferguson Street in Upway. Again, both Saturday and Sunday of next weekend, 8th and 9th of April, 10 through to 
Again, an entry price of $8 with the uh, usual concessions. This, apparent, this garden was formerly known as Lemon Tree Cottage, so I gather that means there's been some new owners take over. But uh, it's a garden that's been terraced into garden rooms across a gently sloping site, featuring a stone wall, an intricately tiled staircase. Uh, there's extensive collection of salvias intermingled with roses, perennials and shrubs. Eight species of Japanese maples have been placed in there to enhance different aspects of the garden. And uh, vegetable beds, ten varieties of fruit trees in the rear garden. And uh, children would like this garden because they've, uh, they have a lot of quirky statues and curiosi curiosities placed around the garden. There'll be Devonshire teas available, plants for sale, including many salvias, and uh, money will be donated to the Upway Fire Brigade. So uh, that's a good cause uh, to give you added incentive to go along. Now, as usual... We do have a free double pass uh, to each of these two gardens to give away for next weekend. I do ask if you have received a double pass in the past, please let someone else who keeps missing out to have a go and have a, a free double pass for the first time and a chance to visit one of these two gardens. So anyone who's uh, had some free doubles in the past, please don't ring today because it's only fair that other people, we share these free double passes around. But if you'd like to uh, get one of those uh, double passes this morning, you can phone Vicky on 94190155. That's nine. 419-0155 and Vicky will take your details. That double pass will be posted out to you. All right, moving on. Um, Pam, the, before we move on, are you moving on away from this weekend? I am. Because it's the very last day of the International Flower and Garden of Show. Course of course it is. The yes. exhibition <laughs> buildings and yep. wow. Um, look, if you're not doing anything today... Uh, well, even if you are, put it aside if you haven't been in this week because it's a, uh, we're just so lucky to have a, an exhibition like this in Melbourne. We spent all day Wednesday there and there were thousands there and I was just so impressed by the crowd as well as the exhibition pieces because it just said to me gardening is alive and well and thriving. There were all ages there, all enjoying you know, what they were seeing right from, you know, um, school groups through to um, folk from retirement villages. You know, the whole gamut of our population was there enjoying gardening, enjoying what they're seeing and being inspired. Mm. So it's in at the exhibition buildings and gardens through till 5.30 tonight, I think, or 5 o'clock. Anyway, get, allow yourself plenty of time to look around. There's lots of seats, there's entertainment, there's music, lots of food, lots of toilets. So, you know, you can spend the whole day there. Don't try and do it in an hour. Oh, you couldn't. No, but, you know, it's <laughs> today's the last day of it and well worth going along. And once again, what a beautiful setting. Yeah, isn't We're it? so lucky that, um, that mm. the government allows us to, to actually use that mm. site for mm. the... Uh, I was I was incredibly impressed um, with the um, the tree and shrub growers um, yeah. yes. garden because oh. Oh. they used the borrowed landscape. They had they had a did you notice the little stream they had? Mm -hmm. And if you looked out, it 
specifically just wandered directly straight to the the pond that's already in the gardens and Mm. the bridge. And I thought, how clever. Someone's really stood back and had a look at that when they were designing the garden. So and they also used a couple of, the, what, two of the existing trees yes, as part of the, the yes. landscape. So that, that was good. I, yeah, I enjoyed that. I did. Mm. I thought that was lovely. But I also, I was mentioning earlier before the show, I really did enjoy the students' work this year, which mm-hmm. is the Avenue of Achievable Gardens. Um, now, these are gardens that students have designed, which means that they haven't cost a fortune. You can take ideas back home and it would be easy to achieve in your own garden. And um, I was really impressed with the standard of the student work. So I think we're in for some real treats with uh, future designers um, coming up. And you're right about having something smallish. So often there's all this grand stuff there, which, you know... Maybe apply to I don't know five percent of our population. Exactly. Perhaps. Whereas uh, you know get ideas for you know for your own small garden. And I one of the things I think there were bee hotels everywhere. Did you <laughs> Gosh, <laughs> yes. I've never seen such a proliferation. I'm sure, I'm sure the bees were quite pleased. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, and maybe the wasps. Yes. 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 <laughs> who knows who else might move in? Yes. <laughs> But just plenty to see and do out there. It is the last day, so if you haven't been um, and you're not sure what to do today, do make the most of it and go along and have a good look. Okay, now I will move on to uh, the next announcement. Now, this one is for the Australian Plant Society Keylor Plains Group. They're holding the Native Plants Auction next Friday, April the 7th at 8 o'clock. They'll have beautiful and uncommon native plants, grown by members for sale, plus advice from the growers. Now, this is a, it will be held at their new address. Um, I was talking to them actually out at the garden show and um, they have decided they'll, they're going to make this new address their permanent home for their meetings. So it's at Raleigh Road Activity Centre, which is the ex-RSL club, 54 Raleigh or Raleigh Road, Maribyrnong, and... Uh, Everybody's welcome. There's a supper provided. If you'd like more information, you can phone Anne, and her number is 9336-3228. That's 9336-3228. Now, also coming up um, from uh, Friends of Burnley Gardens, they've got their next uh, talk coming up, which sounds really interesting. Now, this isn't till... The Tuesday the 11th of April, but I will mention it now so that you can pop it in your diaries if you're interested in going along. As usual, it will be held uh, out at Burnley Campus in uh, Room 10, which is in the main building. 7 o'clock for drinks and nibbles, 7.30 for the talk, $5 cost for members of uh, Friends of Burnley Gardens, 15 for non-members, parking available in the boulevard, and now I need to tell you what the talk is all about. It's a talk by Dr John Dwyer. Uh, the title, and it is an illustrated talk, the title is Weeds, Plants and People. And uh, John is going to be tracing the fascinating history of many common plants that we now treat as weeds, from thistles and thorns that appear in the Bible to the seeds eaten by Stone Age people and the grasses and flowers brought to Australia by European settlers. The story of the relationship between people and weeds 
is a complex and intriguing one. So I think that would be a most interesting talk to go along to. Um, John is a Burnley graduate himself and ha- holds a PhD in weeds in Victorian landscapes, so he's uh, well uh, qualified to talk about it and he's recently authored a book of the same title on his talk, so he'll be talking all about that. Uh, so again, the details, Tuesday the 11th of April, 7 for 7.30, uh, $5 for members of the group, 15 for non-members and for further information or to book, you can phone uh, the Friends Group. Their number is 9035-6861 or there is a mobile 0417-322-657. I'll just give those numbers again, 9035-6861 or 0417 Three double two six five seven. Now, Stephen, you've got a few to talk about. Well, I've certainly got something coming up next weekend, and I would l- really like to promote it. We still have spaces available. We're having our regular opera in the garden uh, event, which is uh, to support Gertrude Opera that helps young opera singers move into a career. So it polishes them, gives them public performances, all that sort of thing. Uh, they've been through their university degrees and things, so they're not actually just beginning singers. No. These are well-qualified singers, and they're stunning. They're just fabulous. So we enjoy doing this every year. Now, this is next Sunday at 2 o'clock. You do need to book, and you'll need to book through the Gertrude Opera website. So if you go, if you Google Gertrude Opera, their website should come up. You look for the events page. You'll find the opera at Tugurium, uh, and you book through the website. Uh, I think it's $60 a head, uh, and I think $50, $50 for people who are members of Gertrude Opera. Uh, we have canopies. We have sparkling wine. We have uh, red and white wine. Uh, you can walk the garden during the before and during interval. Um uh, Craig will have an art show on in the in the um, well garage, um, <laughs> the fine art gallery, uh, and um, so there'll be lots to do, and it's a lovely afternoon. So and it supports these young people who are heading, like anybody who goes into the arts, into a really really difficult place. Oh, yes. And any help we can give these young people to get a head up uh, in uh, their chosen profession, uh, the better, I think. So I think it's a great afternoon. So go into the Gertrude Opera website uh, and uh, you can book through there. Uh, it is limited to 100 people because that's all that we can fit on our lawn uh, and that's about all the chairs we've got access to as well. Uh, and it really is a lovely afternoon. So that's next Sunday, 2 o'clock, so that's Sunday the 9th. Uh, but you will need to book and you'll need to book fairly quickly. Uh, I know that we're you know half to three quarters of the way through number Wise, so there's not a lot of spaces left, and I'm assuming there'll be a few people who've left it to last anyway. So if you want to come along, and we'd love to see some new faces there, um, please jump on their website today and make a booking. Because and just reminds uh, listeners, Stephen, where Tagurium oh, yes, Garden is. Oh yes, yes, of course. Silly me. I just assume everybody knows. Um, it's Eight Centenary Avenue uh, in Macedon. Uh, parking in Marshall Avenue, which is just sort of three houses down from our place, so it's easy to walk into. Um, and, uh, yeah, should be a lovely afternoon had by all. I hope. Be wonderful. Be oh, wonderful. It's, it's a lovely thing to do. I really enjoy it. I'm almost in tears with some of those young singers. They're just so beautiful. Yes. So, yeah, so it's a really good thing to do. And, and if you've never been into opera, it's actually quite a good way to 
put yourself in the Get space an introduction. because each of the singers just sings a piece from something. So there's a whole mixture of pieces. There's generally five or six of them. They do two sets each. So they'll sing a piece from something and then they'll sing something else in the next set. And it goes from light opera right through to some, well, I don't think we've had any Wagner lately, but, you know. Uh, it's most a bit of, heavy for a yeah, gardener. Well, it's gardener. a bit heavy for a young singer too, I think, yes, most I of think the Wagner. So. Yes. Uh, <clears throat> and they look silly dressed as Valkyries anyway. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, so it's a nice mix. Mixture of pieces, and um, and so it's a really good way to sort of get a taste of what uh, opera is all about. Excellent. Now, Stephen, you're also going to be um, involved with the Tesla's rare plants, and I, I think Gwen, you've got all the yes, details. Yes, yes, the eleventh annual Tesla Garden and Plant Expo is coming up, and that's on the twenty second and twenty third of April. Uh, up at Tesla's, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you've never been, it's great fun. It's a really bouncy, lively sort of event. There's stall holders with all sorts of different plants and garden products. You know, everybody from the Selvia Study Group through to the Rhododendron Society through to, um, I don't know, uh, uh, Tonkin's Bulbs. Uh, I mean, there's a whole range of different people up there selling all sorts of different plants and products. They also have quite good food vans up there. I never go away hungry from right. the Tesla plant <laughs> fair, I have to say. Uh, so there's plenty of drink and food and things to have up there as well. We also have a speaker marquee. And during the two days of the event, um, we have a whole range of people speaking on different topics. So there'll be um, a board up there with telling you the times and who's talking when. I know I talk on each day, uh, but there's a whole range of stall holders that talk on different subjects and topics during the, the, the two days. And that's always... Um, uh, always busy and there's lots of people in the marquee for, for the talks, which is good. And, of course, at these events, where, wherever they might be, you get an opportunity to talk to growers, which I think is really important. Uh, I mean, when you go into a garden centre, you might have a young staff member who's got very little botanical knowledge and experience in gardening, uh, and they can read the label to you just like you could read it to yourself. But if you go into these places... You're often talking to the people who are actually the growers of these plants and they know all of the finer details on how to grow them, how to look after them and all that sort of thing. So it's a really, really good weekend. Um, I think it opens about 9.30, goes through to about 4.30. 9 to 4. Nine to four. There you go. I was just <laughs> off uh, by half an hour. I'm sure they won't throw you out at four, but you know, uh, you could probably hang around till four thirty. If you're you not the speaking need. at nine, are you? Steve? No, you'd be late otherwise. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I won't be speaking at nine. I think the, the speaker's tent doesn't start till about ten. We like to get people in there and you know get them sort of settled into the place before we start the talks going. Um, and I'll be there emceeing the whole weekend. Uh, so I'd love to catch up with some three CR um, listeners. Um, and yeah, have a chat and talk about your gardening and all that sort of stuff. It's and of course, fun. this is this is all held on the site of the Tulip Festival. Yes, it's yes. the same site where they have the Tulip Festival. Not that you should see anything in the way of tulips other than as dried up bulbs. Um, so you won't see any tulips up there. But the Tesla Garden actually is really pretty in the autumn. <laughs> Because they do have a lot of salvias and late flowering perennials and things growing around the grounds, um, so it's a pretty place to have the set, it, it all set up in. Because you're mm. sort of set up in the garden setting with the marquees and things, so it's a very pleasant place to meander around. So, Excellent. Yeah. So and there's plenty of parking up there. Uh, you're quite close into Monbolk, so it only takes a couple of minutes to drive into Monbolk if you need to for anything extra you might need. Um, and I'm sure you'll walk off with. Bucket loads of plants because mm. there's lots of interesting stuff for sale. Absolutely. So that's the 22nd and 23rd. So put it in your diary and I would love to see as many 3CR listeners up there as possible. Fantastic. 
Um, I might just give out the phone numbers, Gwen, and then we'll, I'll come to you. But uh, you are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. My name's Pam Vardy and we have Stephen Ryan from Dixonia Rare Plants. Gwen and Roger Elliott are very involved with Friends of Cranbourne Botanic Gardens. If you'd like to, uh, to jump on the phones to ask a gardening question, we will open the phone lines now. That number is 94190155. That's 94190155. Gwen. Hmm. I'll just finish off what Stephen was saying there. If you want more information about that Tesla's Expo, oh, yes. 97377722. It's not till the 22nd of April. We'll be mentioning it again in the next couple of weeks also. But if you want to get in early, $18 for adults. But if you have a group booking of only four or more, so it might be just you and the next door neighbours or mum and dad or whatever, it goes down to $14 per person. Okay. So there you are. There's a bargain there. Um, grab a pencil and paper, folks, because today, as you see, is the first week of Weekend, first day of April. And second day. Second day. You've missed one somewhere, Gwen. Yeah. Yes, it's <laughs> April Fool's Day. It's the first day of daylight saving. Yep. <laughs> the second day of April, the first weekend of April. Uh, now you've got it. We've got lots of things now happening. Now you see what in- I've got to put up with. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just think you fooled her yesterday and she hasn't got over it yet. Well, <laughs> I feel, like fooled that. her many times, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> Um, lots of things happening in April, folks, so I'll just run through a few fairly quickly, but if you've got a pen and paper, uh, you might take the notes so you can follow up if you want to. Okay, next weekend, um, April the 8th, is the Gippsland Rare and Unusual Plant Fair, and that's being held at the Jindavik Public Hall. Uh, lots of traders and, you know, rare and unusual plants, obviously. Food, coffee. Yeah, there you go. It's really going to attract people there. Uh, books, sculptures, you know, all sorts of things for sale. Phone number for this one is David 56285316. Now, for bonsai growers, on the weekend after that, which is Easter, you've got a choice. Uh you can go left or right sort of thing, Mornington Peninsula Bonsai Society or the Bendigo Bonsai Goodness Society. <laughs> Have both. Well, see, you could choose, couldn't you? Yeah, well, you Whichever could, you or you could go to one on one day and go to the other the next. <laughs> yeah. Well, they're both on. Uh, Mornington is the 15th and 16th. Bendigo goes from the 15th to the 17th. Ah. Ah. There oh, you go. Mornington Peninsula one is being held at Balcom Grammar, uh, $5 adults, I won't go through all the, the details because they're pretty much the same. If you're interested in bonsai, these are the places to be. For the Mornington Peninsula one, you can get further information by phoning 0407-361-989. There was a lot of nice bonsai in at the International Flower and Garden Show too. Just a small wonder. <laughs> Oh, I, tried. I had to get something in about small. <laughs> okay. Bendigo is being held at the Uniting Church Hall, Forest Street, Bendigo. Uh, $3 to go in for adults and, once again, everything for bonsai enthusiasts. The phone number there, you can ring David on 0409 395 605. 
Okay, now there's a, a lot of plant sales coming up too, so I'll just mention them very briefly. Uh, on April the 29th, you've got two native plant, um, plant sales. The first one is the Yarra Yarra Group. Now, this is being held at the Senior Citizens Centre, 903 Main Road, Eltham. And here again, these two that I'm going to mention have got all sorts of things for native plant enthusiasts or people who just like to have a look at, um, you know, some native plants and perhaps include one or two in their garden. But anyway, that uh, the phone number to contact there is... Nine four three nine seven double two eight. So that's April the twenty ninth, um, and what day of the week is that? That's a Saturday, and that's at Eltham Senior Citizen Centre, Main Road, Eltham. Now, if you're not in the Eltham area, maybe you'd like to be again Mornington Peninsula because oh, on the same day, the Mornington Peninsula group of the Australian Plant Society have got their autumn plant sale and that's being held at a very interesting location at Sea Winds down at the Arthur's Seat State Park which is in Perves Road, Arthur's Seat. Uh, no entrance fee, um, again lots of nurseries will be down there with plants for sale uh, and also members of the Australian Plant Society and both of these groups will be on hand to talk to folk, give advice, all that sort of thing. Uh, sea Winds is a great place to visit, a lovely location for picnics and barbecues, so you could certainly make a day of it, and the friends down there will be having guided walks around Sea Winds. Now, if you want further information on this one, uh, you can phone 0402-842-494. Uh, and I'll just mention very briefly the next two, because Pam will give you further information next week. Bendigo Goldfields Chrysanthemum Association have got their... Oh, it's the same weekend, the 29th and 30th. Oh, and they're both... The next two are both the same weekend. Okay, Bendigo, if you're interested in uh, chrysanthemums, Carol is the reference there, 0438 439108. And the Friends of the Melbourne Botanic Gardens have got their autumn plant sale that very same weekend, uh, and we'll be talking about that later. But look, April is full of choices. April the 22nd, the Geelong Group of the Australian Plant Society have got their uh, sale down at Lovely Banks. It's a nice name mm. for the village, isn't it? Yes, but it is. 40 Lovely Banks Road, Lovely Banks, uh, and that's also on April the 22nd, so... Um, lots of things to do in April. We'll keep Goodness you up to me. date each week as it goes you on. You need to take out another mortgage if you're going to buy something from every one of those places. <laughs> well, another half acre. Yeah. Oh, yes, you need another half acre of ground as well. You're right. Well, talk to your people next door and say, look, I've got this spare plant of yes, something. that I bought, yes. Can we put it, would you like to, look, against our fence would be nice. Yeah. And you know that it's going to go I've done that meters. sort of thing. It's surprising how, if you say it with conviction, and I guess I can get away with doing that, you, can, you can convince your neighbours to plant the thing you want. Um, against the fence. So yeah, well, somewhere in your view. Yeah, yeah, I've done that several times. And I've said, look, I think that would look lovely over there. I might even donate one to you. And, you know, you could plant that there. You'll get so much pleasure out of it, I say, uh, whilst <laughs> I'm getting more pleasure folks. out of it probably than they are. But that's all right. They get a free plant. It works really well. 
Okay, uh, Penny Woodward has just phoned in to uh, remind listeners if you are going out to uh, the Melbourne International mm-hmm. Flower and Garden Show today, she'll be on the ABC uh, Garden Stand um, so she can answer any questions you might have Fantastic. about herbs or garlic or whatever. And she also mentions that Stephen in the new Organic Gardener magazine, which is due out this week, oh, which yes. I've got in my hot little hand. Oh, I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> okay. Well, you've got an article on yes. bulbs in there. Yes, I have, which is it's interesting because I, I think what uh, the editorial team are trying to do is point out that you can grow organic garden plants, you can grow vegetables, you can grow all the edibles, but you shouldn't forget the aesthetics as well and things to please the soul. So, you know, if you fill your garden up completely with cabbages, you might feed the family, but it's not necessarily going to be beautiful and, and, and exciting. So we, we, I wrote an article on how to use bulbs within an organic gardening setting where you are mainly growing things to eat, but you know, you can have some flowers as well. And that's sort of the premise behind okay. the article. And so, yes, yeah, so it's my first foray into Gardner, uh, Organic Gardener magazine. And I'm very pleased to have picked up a gig there. Uh, it'll only be an irregular thing, just yes. every so often when there's something that could sort of push in the aesthetic side of plants that uh, I could be included in. Uh, but it's nice. I'm quite pleased to have Excellent. written an article for Organic Gardener. There you go. Excellent. Okay, we do have uh, a listener there, so we'll... Uh we won't keep Joan in Parkdale waiting any longer. Good morning, Joan. Hello, Pam. Can I speak to Roger or Gwen, Gwen please? I'm sure. Yeah. Sure you can. Hello. Hello. Yes, they're listening. Righto. Um, we've got a calisthenum. Yes. We've had it in for a number of years and it's been beautiful. But last year uh, we got grubs on it. We tried to get rid of it. It nearly died. It's come back again, but the grubs have too. Okay. What sort of... Are they eating the leaves, are they? Yes. Okay. The, the red and black. Red and black grubs. Okay, look, I'd suggest you just to even to spray with uh, one of the horticultural oils, pest oil or something like that, and, and that'll tend to smother them. Mm-hmm. I'd also give the, the plant a prune back, you know, to uh, reinvigorate it too. Yeah, uh, we did last year. Yeah, yeah. I know. nice now. Yeah, but it, just, just to, do, to spray with the uh, pest oil or eco oil or something like that, and you might have to do it, uh, you know, fortnightly for maybe two or three times, mm-hmm. um, and that, that should control them. Okay. Thank yeah, thank you very much. But uh, once again, to to prune back, and even if you now's a good time, even to put a bit of slow release fertilizer mm. onto, and that'll just help put on some new growth. All right. Okay. Yeah. Thank you very much. Okay. okay. Bye. Bye. Right, let's make a foray into some of the plants we've uh, we've brought <laughs> into the studio. Eclectic mixture. There's a lot. There. <laughs> we have. Roger, I, I, I'll let you go first. Well, I've brought in a few things you know, that don't really flower. And I, I was just looking at our hare's foot fern, which is in quite a large pot, and it's just gone mad. And uh, It's like the dampish summer we had probably. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, and hare's foot fern, the botanical name is Davalia, D-A-V-A-L-L-I-A. And then there's a few different hare's foot ferns. There's some from New Zealand and things like that too, which we've got New Zealand one growing too. But... Um, they're good. The valley, this one is called Pixidata, P-Y-X-I-D-A-T-A, and it's one which will tolerate a fair amount of sunshine. It does well in shade, but it often grows on rocky ledges, 
ex- sometimes exposed. Okay. And uh, so if you're wanting a different type of fern, it's a nice, fit, well, mid to dark, darkish green frond. And uh, they're a plant that you can cut back quite easily if you want. And if you want to just grow some more, you just take a bit of the stem off and uh, and off it goes. Um so, Davalia pixidata, hare's foot fern. And, of course, I have to ask you, why is it called hare's foot? Oh, why? it's got yeah. rhizomes that look vaguely like little furry paws, don't yeah. they? <laughs> they could be Spreading. even rabbits' yeah, they, feet. Yeah, well, they could hair, actually. Right? I don't know why they had to specify yeah. hair, but yeah, there you go. Spreading okay. stem. Yeah, it's a spreading. a little bit like a... a yeah. Airy animals' foot. It, it's what you, it's one of the epiphytic ferns. It okay. grow, grows on other things, and yes. and they use those to cling on. Um, it, it doesn't have you know tendrils or things like that, but it just it'll just cling to things. Okay, and uh, it, it's a great plant. It, it's so tough, and uh, sometimes you might have a bit of trouble with. Um, uh, no, not so much scale, but there might be some other things where the fronds go a bit funny. You just cut them off and off, you know, mm-hmm. up they come again. Yep. But it's a yeah, nice soft furry. The the new bits they're quite um, well, they're honey brown, are they, Stephen? Oh, yeah, I'd say something like that, sort of cinnamony colour, yeah, maybe. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so it's a very pleasant textural plant. Yeah, but there there are a number of them, so. The one from what New Zealand is Balatum, I think. Mm, you know? and, no, and, I'm not sure, but yeah, yeah she but, could be right. And uh, it, it, we've had one in a pot for yonks, mm. you know. So yes, it's hard to root root bound a, uh, a hare's foot. Uh, no, that's right. <laughs> yeah. And they'll just cling to pots. They'll cling around the pot. So yeah, can you do that? Um, this is a dead thing. Oh, oh it is right. not. <laughs> <laughs> well, if it's not and, dead, it's close. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a. A flower stem or an ex-flower stem off of one of the native iris, Patasonia occidentalis. And this is a white one, white flowers when it flowers. But it has these great big long stems. I just noticed them in the garden yesterday. I thought, you know, you're quite decorative. Mm. And well, uh, Dead things can be. I, that, I, I think that's true. You, you've got to have the right mindset. True, Because I, I had... Dare I say, I had a lot of the dead stems of acanthus in my garden over my opening weekend, and I'd pulled all the dead leaves away, but I'd left the the brown structural yeah, yeah. flower stems on them. And I thought they looked quite good, but I did have a couple of people ask me why I hadn't got in to clean up that bit. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which I but, had actually cleaned up, but there you go. But it's even the same with some of the plectranthus. Yeah. After, you know, you have the great big long uh, flowering stems or racemes or whatever, and then all the flowers go and then they just turn brown. Yeah. And if they're in a spot which has got something darkish behind them, to me they look quite decorative. Yeah. You know, so and another thing I did bring in, it's dropped all its petals, but it's the um, lemon-scented myrtle, Backhousia citriodora. And it's an amazing lemon scent, isn't it, to the Oh, foliage. it's incredible. It's, it's incredible. Yeah. It's, it almost... Dare I say it almost smells like an artificial lemon scent? Does that yeah. make sense? <laughs> to me, it's the, probably the purest lemon scent. When you compare it with um, lemon verbena, yeah, oh, yes. uh, which has got a bit more, not turpentiney to it, but it's, mm. but this is, uh, yeah. But it's just the, the so-called things, uh, calyx or calyces, yeah. when the petals drop off, they stay there for ages. Mm. And, I uh, see for what you mean. Yeah. Mm. You yeah, see <laughs> 
Sorry. Oh. <laughs> For those who are not... hours sleep has really yeah. done something <laughs> to <laughs> Can you explain what a sepal is, Stephen? Well, it's a bit of a calyx. So it's, right, yeah, it's, the, it's the uh, leafy bit of a calyx. That's so, right. Yeah, yeah, I remember learning that. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so it just sometimes pays to have a look at things that, uh, you know, and even things that are a bit dead. There's another dead thing. Mm. And I just saw this sitting in the... Dry, <laughs> Roger, please. Yeah. Dry. In, in the laundry. I think it was in the laundry. And, in a vase. Um, in a vase. Yeah, well, there you go. But it's uh, a eucalyptus. Some people might know it as eucalyptus tetragona. What, it isn't anymore or something? No. Uh, there is still a tetragona. It's just they got things mixed up. Oh, I see. So it's so been it's, put into its right Yeah, it's called Pleurocarpa. Yeah. And, no better name then. Yeah, no. <laughs> but it has uh, thickish leaves and there's a, a silvery bloom on the on – the, these are actually the seed capsules – but that, they just last for ages and ages and ages. Yeah, you and keep them until they get so dusty dust, and cobwebby well, that you yeah, throw them out. Well, yes. you can you can you know put a put a duster over this and it works okay. But yeah, so there are things that are you know dead or dried can be quite decorative. I mean, if you put something, if if you combine that with say a vivid red, yep. it would look stunning, hmm. really yeah. stunning. Yeah, and so. again, it would be a great um, decoration to use at Christmas time. Yep. Yeah, good on you, Pam. You're into Christmas already. <laughs> <laughs> Listening to no. I haven't got used to the idea of Easter eggs and hot cross buns in the no. shop yet. But No, Gwen picked up some hot cross buns yesterday and they were those dreadful chocolate chip things. Oh, oh, no, you didn't look properly. No, we put them back again. <laughs> yeah, so. He was with me. Apple and cinnamon aren't bad, though. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, listening to Roger and all these botanical names reminded me of a chap who was walking around at the Melbourne International Flower and Garden Show and he was wearing a, t- a bright red T-shirt saying, if you were a plant, I'd remember oh, your yeah. name. Yes, I've seen that T-shirt. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. a great it's good. T-shirt. It's good. Yeah. The number of people that were taking photos of his back yeah, <laughs> was yeah. incredible. Perhaps we should say nine four one nine oh one double five if you'd like to interrupt Roger talking about his non-flowering plants. <laughs> Another non-flowering, it's one of the bird's nest ferns. And the, these bird's nest ferns really are a, a great group. There's a number of them. But they, they will tolerate dryness. Mm, they will. And, and uh, they don't have to be in complete shade. No. They're quite happy. You know, you see them sitting up on the tops of trees and the forests and things like that. But um, most most of the uh, bird's nest ferns these days are propagated via tissue culture. Okay. So I just bought one little neglected plant in a pot um, just showing the typical undivided frond that goes out but every now and again you might get these crazy things happening so oh. you've got these crested things and this is just from a tissue culture okay. and uh, when I got it I didn't realise it was going to be like that it just all of a sudden happened yeah. so you get these funny things and the collectors go mad over oh, it yeah. it's actually it's it's everything old is new again because back in the 1890s I, that, and things when the fern craze right. was going on all the crested fimbriated mm. fluffy ferns mm. that they could find yeah. they were the things that you collected they looked really good with your five-legged sheep. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's right. But anyway, some things like that do happen, and uh, they still grow quite well. Oh, yeah. It doesn't, doesn't you know, harm the Well, I've got a couple. I haven't got the fimbriated one, but I've got a couple of bird's nest ferns in the garden up at Macedon. Uh, admittedly, they're in a bit of shelter because of the cold. That's what we have to watch with them up there. Yeah. But one of my bird's nest fern would have to be 
nearly a metre and a half tall and two metres wide. It is huge and it is just beautiful. And when the light shines oh, in from a certain uh, angle... That, that is one of the best things. Oh, it, it, I mean, it just takes my breath away. Every time yeah, the, the yeah. sunlight is just at the right angle where it shines through the back of the leaves and they just sort of glow. Yeah, and it is a beautiful, beautiful plant. I just mm. love my bird's nest ferns. Yeah. And especially when it's starting to spore, mm. you know, you get the darker lines oh, coming yes. through. So. Yeah. Yep, so... Just a plain green plant can look good. Oh, it can look stunning. So, yep, yeah, definitely. Bird's nest ferns. Have a go we, at them. Okay, we're going to go to our next caller. We have uh, Bill, who's in Sandringham. Good morning, Bill. Oh, good morning, panel. Uh, I'd just like to ask you some things I could about blueberry. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, we, uh, I'm getting a bit too old to grow vegetables like potatoes and things, so I thought I might go for fruit which I could pick. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we've... We've acquired a couple of dwarf blueberries, the sunshine blue one. Mm-hmm. And what I want to know is um, I was going to use one of the vegetable beds to put them in. Now, uh, they're raised beds about six inches yep. with a sort of thing around them. Uh, and the soil's very sandy, but it's had been, it's been for about 20 years growing vegetables in it. Uh, so would that soil be uh, suitable? I'd, Probably I'd want, not. I'd want to check the pH for a start because yes. blueberry is like an acidic soil. Yes. So the pH needs to be around about six or even lower. Uh, and if you've been putting lime on the veggie garden over the years and things mm. like that, that could be an issue. Uh, and a sandy soil worries me too because it drains so quickly. Blueberries like a fair bit of moisture. Would I be better not to have it such a raised bed so it's, the water will sit better? I'm wondering whether you wouldn't be better actually growing it in a large pot. Well, I grow I grow them in a large pot, Bill, um, because that way, yeah, I was able to to make sure I had a really good acidic soil. Yeah. I'm actually growing it in a very large, what they call a water well pot, so I only have to top up the pot about once a week or whatever in in hot weather. Yeah, and um, they've been doing very well yeah. in that yeah, situation. Yeah, I, I just don't think what suburb is Bill in? Sandringham. Oh, down so Sandringham. Very yeah, sandy see, soil. A coastal suburb would be. I think you're pushing blueberries to grow well in the ground down there. I think so too. Yeah, so I'd grow them in pots. The other advantage, of course, if you grow them in a big pot, they're even closer to waist height, so that you can pick them easier. And you can also you can also net them very easily. Yeah, to so stop that you can birds. keep the birds from yeah. getting oh, in. Because I'm all right, I've got the special netting to keep uh, keep birds off my tomatoes. Oh, fair oh, okay. But yeah, so I I think large containers are the way to go. Bill with a good quality potting mix, uh, something that would be used for azaleas, azaleas, camellias, yeah, yes, that sort of thing, and they'll do far better in that than they'll ever do in your soil. Oh, right. Well, that, that makes me rethink. A couple of things, though, that I could still get from you, perhaps. Um, what, what sort of pests would they have, not, not, not including birds? Uh, not a lot. No. They, they're, they're, they're quite hardy. Yeah, they, look, you, you might get a lacewing that get, attacks rhododendrons occasionally, maybe. I've not seen it on them. Mm. Um, normally, if you have problems with blueberries, it's more to do with environmental issues. So they get burnt if it gets too hot and dry or, yeah. or what have you. Uh, there's really not much in the way of pest and disease issues with them that I'm aware of. Okay, um, and what, you would only feed them the potting mix then, would you? Yeah, I'd grow them in a proper potting mix, a good yeah. quality one, and you would just feed them a slow-release fertiliser each year. You might use one of the sort of um, pelletised things like Osmocote or one of those products. They, they're quite good. Uh, you could use a little bit of cow manure and blood and bone. I'd avoid any of the poultry manures because they tend to be slightly alkaline yeah. and could burn the blueberries. Uh, but cow manure, sheep manure... 
that yes, sort of thing would be fine. Mostly yeah. yeah, well, sheep manure should be fine, and it works like a slow-release fertiliser anyway because it's in those sort of round pellet forms. Um, and, um, yes, you don't want to overfeed anything in that Ericaceae family. It's just, they're just like a light organic fertiliser, so something what? like blood and bone or the... Sorry, what sort of family you said it we don't feed them in that sort of family, you said. Yeah, Ericaceae. That's the whole family that they belong to. Ericaceae. Uh, oh. Yeah, the Ericaceae family, which includes Ericas, Rhododendrons, Azaleas. Uh, the, it's a very big plant family, actually, and it extends all the way around the world. Um, and nearly all of the plants within that family um, like or even require an acidic soil. Oh, good, good. And one last question coming up. Um, what If, you, if you're worth counting them out... What spacing would you need for these small ones? Oh, you'd put them at about metre to metre and a half spacing? Yes. A metre would be all right. Yeah, yes. yeah I would have thought so. Anyway, that's just my information, actually. Oh, well, and for acidic soil, which I think I'll have to do something about... Um, is sulphur good for that? Well, sulphur helps acidify a soil, but yes. you've got to remember a lot of these products, if your soil is naturally alkaline yes. and you put down an acidifier, you have to keep doing it because it leaches through and your soil goes back to its natural state again in time. So now, you're fighting um, against nature a bit doing it. Yeah. What was the name of the pots you were talking about? Waterwell. Um, water well, if, if you just ask for a self-watering pot. Yeah. Yes. It needs to be a reasonable size. Oh, yes, it has to be a, a yeah, quite a good, a good size, one. a big yeah. one. Big one, right. Because it's going to be permanently in there. Yeah, it needs to be care, care, sorry, corapot. Ah, I've got my nut tongue in a knot. A terracotta-type pot. No. It? No, it doesn't no, have the water to be well, at all. Uh, although the self-watering pots tend to be plastic. Oh, as a rule. That's yes. all right, not too hot for them. No. Shouldn't be because they've got a sort of a, a thick core because they're sort of double walled in a way uh so they they should be fine having said that you don't put blueberries out in a hot spot anyway no i was going to say mine are mm. facing mine are getting morning sun only only yeah yep oh right oh yeah. well that i was thinking of having to get the sun to them but that's no wrong. no 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 they're one of the few edible plants actually that can grow in semi-shade most things you eat have to have full sun uh but blueberries and probably the little ugly berries from chili uh, are two of the things that are actually edible that enjoy a little bit of shade mm. Oh, right, right. Thank you very much. I That's think a pleasure. I can't think of anything else, but I'll try. Okay. <laughs> Good on you, Bill. Good right. luck with that. Bye. Bye. You are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. We're running through until 9.15, our usual time slot. If you'd like to jump on the phones and ask a gardening question or have a chat about something, do give us a call. The number is 94190155. That's nine. 9- Four one nine zero one double five. We do have Stephen Ryan, Gwen Elliott, Roger Elliott in the studio this morning. So uh, all things native or exotic, we're very happy to take your call. So uh, as I said, that number nine four one nine zero one double five. Roger, fine, Pam. You've got a couple more there we haven't mentioned, and these are you've well. You've made me, You've after talking to you the other day, I've decided I really have to establish a couple of pots okay. outside where we're going to try and sit in the afternoon without being bitten <laughs> to death by mosquitoes. Fine. Pam's talking about pitcher plants or saracenias, and uh, saracenias are mainly from eastern USA, um, and they're plants that do like water. So you grow them in a, in a pot that doesn't have a hole, 
in them. And, uh, Drainage hole, you mean? Yes. Yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, there's, there's a, a hole at the hole top. top yes. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I, I'm glad you're both here. Yes, that's right. Yes, just to keep you on the straight and narrow. Yeah. Um, so we, we grow them in fairly large terracotta. They're more a bowl shaped, and they're probably around about oh, 40 centimetres or even larger, 50 centimetres uh, wide, and around about uh, 10 to 15 centimetres deep. So you just put in some. Good thing to put in some charcoal in the bottom and then we just put in a mixture of a pony mix and we add a bit of extra, something like coir peat or peat moss or something like that, just so it's a real boggy mm. garden. And then you just plant them in there and they really do look after themselves pretty well. They, You don't need to fertilise them, but if you want some extra growth, you can just put a little well, bit of... Well, they catch their own fertiliser. Oh. Yeah, yeah. But you that's can the if plan. you... Yeah, that's, that's the plan. That's the plan. Yeah. <laughs> So with the pictures, and they come in different shapes. So we've got one here, which is, uh, oh, well, white green, and then it's got red marbling markings, and there's another one which is red and green. But yeah, it looks like it's got varicose veins. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and then, But the flowers are beautiful flowers. They come up usually taller than the leaves, and they have these petals that blow in the wind. And, and they sort of come up and then the stem arches yeah, over and the flower sort of yeah, hangs like a little parachute. That's thing. right. It's really yeah. lovely. And uh, you can get uh, different colours, reds, yellows in, in the flowers. Oh, some of them are spectacular. Yeah, yeah. They really and, are. Uh, but the foliage is really what it's all about though, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, yes, that's, that's right. right. So they, uh, there's, I was just watching a wasp, European wasp going yesterday and uh, it was clever. It got out again. Oh. But often they, they go in and they get, because there's a nice smell there, and they go down for the, the sweet stuff. And uh, there are also hairs which often point downwards, and so it makes it difficult for insects to come out again. But this wasp, he might have been in before, I think. Yeah, <laughs> it had learned the trick. It's going yeah. to take that back to the hive, yeah, I might add. Yeah. So, yeah. Yes. But, uh, uh, but we, we find, you know... we. We noticed there's quite a few European wasps just in the last month or so, but um, we and mosquitoes. We don't not not having many mosquitoes at all. But I just cut one open, and people can't see this when they're home. But it's just full of insects down. Oh my the, goodness gracious! It is too down the the stem of a dead incredible. a dead one. There's mm. just there's hundreds there. And now uh, that brings me to maintenance, Roger. When the flowers die off? Yeah, the flowers die off. I just was doing a bit of work yesterday, cleaning one up. Um, so you can just cut the flowers off at the base. And once again, once the leaves, because the, the pictures are actually modified leaves. Yep. And so when they look a bit daggy, you, you can just rip them off. Often they just come away from the base okay. quite easily. If they don't, well, you just... Well, then just, you just pull the plant out. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and And you can, if you want more plants, you can just divide them up and probably it's a little bit early to do that at the moment, but uh, a little bit later. But they're just, uh, they're great for kids. Oh, yes. They're even but good you can't catch a kid in one of those. I don't know. <laughs> Some of them get quite big, Stephen. Yeah. <laughs> All right. But, um, and they're good for adults too. Mm. But uh, we've got four pots. And uh, when when it, we had a few mosquitoes, probably was after those springs, you know, early or late spring rains. There yes. were a few around, but we haven't had. You know, don't bother us. So. I'll send you some of mine down there. You got shall some? I? Yes. Oh, yeah, my garden is mosquito central because it's shady. Oh yes, it's got yes. water. Water. Yeah, yeah and. Mm. Um, you know, no matter what you do, even if the mosquitoes have bred somewhere else, they come to live at our place. Mm. Yeah, because um, they like those sort of conditions. Yeah, it they? is, and it's humid around our place with all yeah. of the ponds and everything yeah. there. Yeah. Um, I've just become 
so used to them I don't pay any attention anymore. I just yeah, sort of yeah. let them have their bit. Uh, as long as yeah. Ross River doesn't get down here, well, I'll be fine. Well, it's, it's, it's on the down, way. It's down at Cranbourne, isn't yes. it? Is it? Have they got it's it down at Cranbourne? Cranbourne. So you, yeah. you are going to have to be a bit careful. I mean, I'm the same. I'm, it, it's taken the pleasure out of sitting in the garden at 4.30 in the afternoon. Can't do it. Okay. While the sun's sort of out and fairly high, fine, yeah. we can get away with it. But after that... I'm yeah. afraid we have to go back inside. Yeah, yeah it's a bit sad, isn't it? Really? It is sad. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and you get best results if they are out in sunshine. Yep. Mm. You know that's where they grow naturally. You know there, okay. and uh, they get a bit of snow on them over in the east. You know USA too, but uh, you, you've got to keep the moisture up to them. And so I just every couple of days I just stick the hose in until mm-hmm. the water comes up to the top. But, okay. Uh, but the genus name of that group is Saracenia. S a double r a C-E-N-I-A, and the pictures we're talking about can be two foot, you know, 60 centimetres tall. They're quite impressive. A curled, upright leaf uh, and with this hood over the top that the insects go in and I'm looking at the one that Roger's cut you know, and I reckon there might be a couple of hundred insects. Oh, easily. easily. They're they're all dead, of course. Yeah, they are flying around the room now. No, (laughs) but, um, you know, they're decorative uh, very easy to grow. Um, and there is a grower grow. down at Mifkus. I assume he's still there this year because I haven't been down. But, uh, no, it wasn't. It wasn't. No, I didn't, didn't see no. him. Collectors he was corner. down that side way near where the toilets generally yeah, are. Collector's Corner? Um, but, yeah, Collector's yeah. Corner would have Yeah, them. no, they Garden weren't, they weren't yeah. there. But And there's also a Carnivorous Plant Society that operates uh, mm. too. And I know the Carnivorous Plant Society have their show at Collector's Corner, usually late November or oh, early yeah. December. Mm. And it's a good place to just go and have a look and you can yeah, pick, get your pick head up around the and the growers are there. You know, yeah. the, the, the enthusiasts are there yep. and they'll talk to you about yep. them. And Actually, so. I didn't bring my Mifis book in, but I think Trifford Park. Oh, yeah. sorry, there is. A, there is. Yeah, no, that's oh, the one yeah. I was thinking Trifford of. Trifford Park. Yeah, I couldn't there. remember their name. And, they, and yeah. they'll be up at um, Tesla's, I assume, as well. Okay. They have been the last few years, so I'm yeah. assuming yeah. Trifford Park will be up there yeah. as well. Yeah. Trifford, Trifford Park at... Um, the Mifkus show is just near the tree and shrub growers' display. Oh, is that where display. they are this year? Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Yes, yeah. I want them to breed a Trifford. <laughs> <laughs> they haven't yet? No, apparently not. Okay, we must go to our next caller, and we have Chris, who's in Carrum. Good morning, Chris. Uh, hello. I've just got a, a tree full of apples. I'm just wondering about storing them. Can I leave them on the tree, pick them? What should I do? I'd pick them, because if you leave them on the tree at the some stage or another, the cockatoos will find them. Oh, well, they're under nets. Oh, they're under oh, nets. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, yep. look, uh, most apples are, pink, uh, are pickable now, so right. I would get them off the tree. And you just have to store them in an open, airy place but out of the sun uh, and don't store them sitting on top of each other. So try and store them on the flat. If you've got somewhere where you can sort of set up a wire tray or something that you can actually sit them up on to let the air circulate around and then just check them reasonably regularly in case one's starting to go off because you know what they say about one rotten apple. Yep. Um, so you need to sort of go through them and... and and I would use them reasonably quickly. I mean, yep. you haven't got a cool store, so without a cool store, you need to start using them up. No worries. Thanks for that. That's a okay. pleasure. Bye-bye. Yes, I wish I'd 
<laughs> I wish I'd got a crop of apples. I had a whole pile of snow apples on my tree and they yes. were just ready to pick. I thought, I'll do that tomorrow. Well, that was a bit late. <laughs> I actually I actually got a big crop of apples this year for the first time, which is fantastic. Yeah. yeah. And I've just got mine. I mean, we're trying to use them. while yeah. they're, they're better when they're fresh anyway. Oh, I think so. But I've just got them in, in the vegetable crisper in the fridge. Yeah, yeah. well, that will work if you've, if you've got a big enough crisper and you haven't got it full of carrots and other things. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I've, I've just I've got all the veggies on one side and I've used yeah. the other one just for the apples. Yeah. And I'll keep my eye on them. And mm. if I have to make apple sauce or whatever. Yeah, well, that's what so I sometimes do. I'll stew apples and then freeze yes. the stewed apples yes. and use them for cereal and things in the morning. Yeah. So I often do that. Um, but yes, it's been a funny year this year. My, my uh, nashi pear got cleaned up quite early this year, so I didn't get any nashi pears to speak of. My snow apples were cropping really well, and I, I got a few off the tree before the birds took them, but then they took the rest. But touch wood... My quinces are still hanging on the tree, and I don't quite. Oh, get, so are mine. I don't so get that because normally they get pulled off when they're about the size yeah, yeah, of a golf yeah, ball yeah. Uh, and drop to the ground. Yeah. But this year, I've actually got quinces. I lost I all my edible grapes this year. I just was too slow yeah. bagging them. But anyway. Oh, Oh, well, it's all part of the Word fun went of gardens. out overnight, yeah. the whole Ho- lot. Went. Hopefully you won't starve to death now that you haven't got any grapes. You know, probably... <laughs> I don't think I'll starve to no, death. No, no, that's, that's the main thing. I, th- I think our vegetable gardens and our fruit-picking gardens and things – in a, in a Western society like ours, we look at them as a luxury in some ways. And if you don't get a crop of something, well, it's not something to lose sleep over necessarily. I no, mean, exactly. you're not subsistence. Exactly. Uh, so if something goes wrong, it goes wrong and you eat the other thing. Well, I'm actually not going to pick my meddlers this year. They're still all yeah. on the tree. But because I've got so much oh. meddler pace yeah. still from last year's crop, I'm just going to yeah. let the birds have their... Yeah. way with them this year and I'll pick them again next year yeah, when I'm ready I, for more I think that's the way you've got to harvest. look. Otherwise you do in fact end up with cupboards full of stuff yeah. you'll never use. So, that's right. That's you know, right. And, and that's just a waste of time and energy yeah. at the end of the day. So so yeah. for, for some of your, your produce, it's it's a little bit of luxury. It's an add-in. Mm. Yeah, that's the is. way I look at it. Mm-hmm. But, and it's still, I've had the fun of, of the medlar tree, which is so gorgeous in autumn time. It's a beautiful and, tree. And the blossom, it's, mm. it's a lovely tree. It is tree. one of the great trees. I love medlars. Oh, I think they're a beautiful fantastic. small tree. And why they're not used as an ornamental tree in suburban front gardens more, I've no oh, idea. Oh, I agree. You know, I think they're lovely. Yep, no, totally agree. Uh, Stephen, well, while we're waiting <laughs> oh. for some more calls to come through, let's start on your... Um, yeah, it was sort of funny because I didn't pay any attention to who I was on with this morning. So <laughs> if I had, I might have changed my mind. But it doesn't really matter in a, in of course a sense, it doesn't. I guess. Uh, I bought in some native conifers, uh, which actually completely and utterly lock in with what Roger's been talking about, and that's with plants that are pretty but don't have flowers. <laughs> so I don't know. It was like we colluded, Roger. And, oh, we, uh, d- we did. Yeah, did we sort of yeah. subconsciously yeah, we colluded? Yeah. Um, I find native conifers really an interesting group of plants because they were sort of uh, the ugly ducklings of the plant world a bit, uh, and not many people were interested in native conifers. I mean, they, uh, they, you know, who wanted to plant a bunya pine or a, uh, a uh, hewan pine or whatever else? No, native conifers just weren't on the radar. And in fact, even in a lot of native plant growing nurseries, you just didn't see the native conifers, which is sort of sad because I think we have some very interesting and uh, and certainly historically important um, uh, native conifers. In fact, the Southern Hemisphere has a lot of really interesting <coughs> conifers. Uh, and I've now got a few people who are starting to collect Southern Hemisphere conifers or Gondwanan conifers or just Australian conifers or, or Oracarias or, you know, they're, they're collecting mm, specific mm, groups, mm, which mm. is really quite interesting. Um, and so I think the push to come back to Australian conifers obviously started with the Woolamai pine. Uh, 
Hmm. As soon as people started having the Woolamai pine mm-hmm. thrust down their throat by the advertising and the PR and everything else that went on with that tree, um, suddenly native conifers became somehow acceptable again. Um, and so people started to look at them again. Uh, I mean, I, once in a blue moon I might have sold a bunya. Now I sell quite a few bunyas, obviously, hopefully, to people with large no. gardens. I would hope so. <laughs> uh, oh, just, just last you know, the, the plant sale down at Cranman a couple of weeks ago, yeah. I sold a bunya for a man in a 13th floor penthouse. Perfect pot plant until they yeah. get too big. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I just told him, you know, keep maybe two weeks inside, then stick them out for a few days, bring yeah. it back in. He said, oh, it's pretty windy. I said, well, just find a protected spot yeah. outside. And, yeah. and tie yeah. it to the rail, yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> you could get killed by a bunya in a pot <laughs> if it he, came he, up he, and over. He knows the big cones. Yeah, so, but mm. actually, speaking of conifers indoors, the yeah. agathas, the cowries, make exceedingly good indoor plants, mm. whether they're the Australian ones, the New Caledonian ones or whatever, mm. Mm. they make great indoor plants and they can stay inside as long as they get adequate light levels mm. for yonks. I mean, Norfolk mm. Island pines were sold as as, oh, yeah. uh, as indoor plants for donkey's years and they won't push the roof off. Uh, they'll just curl as they can hit the roof. Uh, so, yeah, so I think Australian native conifers and conifers of the Southern Hemisphere are coming back into their own again and I'm on the lookout to sort of collect a lot of these things. But for years I've sold some of them and I'm mentioned hewan pine and i think the hewan pine makes a stunning pot plant it is weepy droopy elegant plant rich dark green exceedingly slow growing so it's not going to outgrow mm, a pot mm, mm. in one person's lifetime um and because of the rich history that the Hewan Pine has with the logging industry in Tasmania and, you know, we all know about the timber and we come home from Tassie with our Hewan <laughs> Pineapple or letter opener mm. or whatever, which I see is a dreadful waste of oh, good timber. Um, but nonetheless, uh, we know about Hewan Pine and a lot of people know about it but haven't seen it. Mm-hmm. So it makes a great conversation piece in a garden, makes a lovely tub specimen on a veranda or in a fernery or somewhere where it's a bit cool because uh, they obviously don't want to be out in 45 degrees and... Mm-hmm howling northwesterlies but the little plant i brought along here is what about oh 30 35 40 centimeters tall i suppose it was propagated from a cutting in 2014 wow so that gives you a bit of a sense of (coughs) how comparatively slow they are um uh, but you put those into a nice ornamental pot and for years you'll have a beautiful tub specimen and a great conversation piece mm. because a lot of your visitors will know about hue and pine but never they have won't know seen what one. it looks like yeah yet. and i've actually sold quite a few of them to timber workers not because they're oh, intending yeah. to chop in fact them chop them down <laughs> but because they've worked with hue and pine and things they thought mm. it'd be lovely to in fact have a living tree mm, that's and nice. in fact i had a lady not long ago who bought one for her husband for his birthday who was a who, who was a turner of wood and so forth because okay. uh, she thought it would be a, a, an ideal gift for mm. her woodworking husband. Nice. Um, so the hue and pine is probably one of our most iconic conifers, really, uh, when it's all said and done. Um, and, um, in fact, Tasmania has a sort of almost dibs on some of our most interesting conifers in a way. Oh, then uh, there's a huge range of forms or growth habits, yes, aren't there? Yeah, yeah you know, there's amazing things. I mean, mm. at the other extreme, uh, I've brought along a creeping strawberry pine, uh, mm. Microcacra uh, tetragona, and it just spills. So, again, it could make a very good pot plant, you know, mm. just spill out over the edge of a pot. It'll only grow a few centimetres deep, but it could end up being a metre or two wide within a respectable time. Again, this plant's probably three or four, maybe five years old already. Uh, it's got fine, scaly, needly type growth, uh, and it just follows the contours. So if it gets to the edge of a pot, it'll just spill down over the edge. 
They call it a strawberry pine because its fruiting body is not a hard cone like most conifers get. It is actually a little red Mm. strawberry-like fruit body. Quite bright colours. Quite bright colours, yeah. And so it is quite an interesting little thing. Um, uh, it would be nice in a, in a moist rock garden. I was I mean, going to say in a rockery, that yeah, would be yeah, fabulous. It wouldn't want to be out in a baking hot one, no, but in no, somewhere but... where it got a little bit of moisture and a bit of good uh, leafy soil yep. uh, would be fine for it. Uh, and it just makes this really pretty spilly if little If you put plant. it on the top, would it spill over a retaining wall? Oh, yeah. Yes, if you had a, a spot in semi-shade and you had a really high retaining wall and you wanted something that didn't come out too much but would spill down gently and perhaps not hide the retaining wall completely or at least not for many many years uh, but soften it with some lovely long dangly bits Um, then the the strawberry pine could easily be a subject for that sort of work and I think it's charming (laughs) and there, there are a number of other dwarf uh conifers that come from Tasmania and parts of New South Wales and things that you just don't see grown or sold very often and uh, you know they may not have the presence of a blue spruce but they certainly are an attractive plant and they are something as long as you consider Tasmania part of Australia uh, they are native <laughs> and of course some Tasmanians don't see themselves as part of Australia but there you go okay uh, we might go to some callers Stephen we'll oh, come back yes, yes yes we've got one more to talk about so okay good uh we're going next to Hugh who's in Churnside Park good morning Hugh Yes, uh, good morning, panel. Good morning, Victoria. That, that Hewan pine, that is fascinating. I, ha- I had a cube of uh, Hewan pine, three inch by three inch. Oh, sorry, a cube, three inch. And uh, it, uh, it, it had a fantastic smell. Yeah. And it came from a tree which was a sapling when Jesus walked this earth. It was just fantastic. Where, where can I buy a Hewan pine? From me. From Stephen. Stephen, you have one, have you? I have them up at work, uh, probably only about half a dozen at the moment. I don't grow them in quantity because they're they're slow and I'll never make a living out of them. Um, but I love to have them around because they are such pretty trees. And you're right, Hugh, it's one of those things that we all know from the history of its timber, but not so many people know it to look at. Well, I come to Tesla's. If you have one, I purchase it. All right, I'll try and remember to throw one in the car before I come up to Tesla's for you, Hugh. Oh, that'd be fantastic. Yeah, but it is. It's a lovely little tree, and it would make a beautiful pot plant. Oh, fantastic. Um, then the other thing that was just as a, as a note of interest uh, to some people, um, somebody was inquiring about um, blueberries. When I was a little nipper, that goes back to the early 1930s, uh, my parents and uh, the whole neighborhood, the whole village, the whole settlement went into the forest to pick blueberries. And the, uh, the, the metropolitan area of Berlin is, uh, contains uh, one-third of it is forest and, and lakes and canals and rivers and lakes and all the rest of it. You can't go from one suburb to another one without going through a forest or crossing a lake. And uh, the, the, everybody goes on, in, at blueberry times into the forest and pick blueberries. They only grow uh, about a foot high, um, 300 millimeter or 30 centimeters, call it what you like. And then you take baskets and buckets and everything full of blueberries. And um, 1991, when I came back, uh, there wasn't a single one. They all had disappeared. And before, it was like a meadow uh, in, 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 in autumn time and so on and so forth. And uh, it was just full of blueberries left, right, and center. It's a shame that they have all disappeared. Now, Pam, I'm going to 
express my friendship again. Uh, I have three questions. You can strike them out if I'm taking too much time. Okay, we'll try and be try and be fairly quick. I you. make it quick. Okay. Now um, I I rattle them off in order, and then you can take your time answering it. Okay. Now Amaryllis and Brunswick. I managed to uh, make my Brunswick to flower after 15 years, and uh, I'm a, I've been told treat Brunswick is the same as Amaryllis, but nobody can tell me. How you fertilize them and when to repot them, that's number one. Then I come back to my jacaranda, which um, is eight foot high, a single stem eight foot high, and there's always a, a growth coming along the the stem. And it, the little little growth there is about pencil thick, and I want to turn them into cuttings. Will that work? That's number two. And number three is Paulonia. I got a number of Paulonia, and they want to grow as multi-stem, and I don't like that a bit. I don't like multi-stem trees. They're a disaster to my way of of, of thinking. So I need, um, um, I want to know if I can turn the Paulonia multi-stem, and if I cut them off, if I can turn them into cuttings. That is, that is, they are the three questions. All right, well, let's start with the two easiest, which, in fact, are the last two. You won't grow jacarandas easily from cutting, so I wouldn't bother. Um, so uh, just leave them or prune them off, but they won't take as cuttings. Most jacarandas are seedling raised. Uh, your polonias, you can prune off whatever you like uh, and shape them as you wish, but they will sucker and they'll keep coming up from side branches and things, so you'll have to keep at it. And again, they don't strike from cuttings well, but they grow very well from root cuttings. Oh, that, that makes sense to me. Yeah, um, so they, they, if you want to grow more polonias, break a root, uh, and then another one will come up. Yes, that, that makes sense. Now, as uh, far as your amaryllis, though, are concerned, um, uh, amaryllis and, uh, and brugmansvigias and so forth, they're like um, uh, a lot of those bulbs, they need a, a spot where they dry out during their, their dormancy period. Their bulbs need to be sitting close to the surface with their necks up out of the ground. Uh, they don't need to be overfed and they don't mind being a bit root-bound. So, in fact, neglect works quite well with those types of plants. The more you fiddle with them, the more likely you are to push them into growth and not flower. Oh, they're sold for years if, if, um, if you repot them. But back to the Brunswigia, uh, somebody said um, in a book, which is about bulbs, and it says only fertilize with um, uh, compost on the top. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm not quite sure if that is enough. Yeah, look, I, I, if they're pot-grown, I would give them a little bit of Osmocota, one of the slow-release fertilisers as well. But don't don't put strong horse manure or poultry manure and things around them. Uh, but a little bit of Osmocota would be quite in, in order, and you'd put that down at about flowering time so that it's there to feed the plant during its growth cycle. Brunswick 15 years after... Well, hopefully it won't be another 15 years. Normally when they start flowering, you'll get them to flower comparatively regularly. Oh, that'd be fantastic. Yeah, so you won't have to live another 15 years, Hugh. I I have seen Brunswick in uh, in, uh, in, in South Africa, and uh, they... um, the, 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 the top breaks off and acts like a wheel. Yeah, they, they work, work like the um, tumbleweeds. Blows the, mm. blows the wheel around and then the seed comes out of the um, out of the out of the out of the um, swollen um, 
top there, mm. and uh, that's how it propagates itself. So, would I have a chance if I take the let some of the Brunswiger to flower and get the seed? and um, try to make them grow? Would that yeah, work? look, you, there's no real reason why you couldn't raise them from seed. Just sow them fresh when they're, when they're completely ripe off the plant. So as the head's about to break off, that's the time to collect the seeds. So when it's all browned off and the seeds are still there, sow them straight away and then wait another 15 or 20 years. Oh, no, no, no. I'm, <laughs> I'm quite happy with the 24 I have. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And all right. Uh, when they flower and then early spring or what? The, what, the flowers normally uh, take stay out and flower for quite a long time. You just got to watch until the stems brown and and are obviously losing their their uh, green in them, so that the sap is being withdrawn. And once the seed pods start to just get crisp and start to open a little bit that's when you collect it and it will vary depending on when it flowered and how long you've had it and there's there's too many uh if buts and maybes so you've just got to keep an eye on the plant they they want all deep pots you know the what i call the uh, the lemon tree pots they want deep pots and um yeah that's the size of the bulb is the size of a baby's head yeah oh yes they can get huge uh so you do need deep pots you're right Okay. All right, we better go, okay. Hugh. Okay, thanks very much. Thanks, Pam, for taking... I'm sorry for taking so much time. That's fine, Hugh. Okay, bye. Right, moving on, we have uh, Peter, who's out in Altona. Good morning, Peter. Good morning, Pam and panel and uh, Stephen and Roger and Gwyn. I was talking well to you all earlier when... I finished Rock and Root show, but anyway, enough of that. <laughs> yeah. Good morning to you all. Got a query. Mm-hmm. thought I'd get you while there's a whole bunch of people with native uh, plant knowledge there. Friends of mine out the bush have a whole bunch of self-sown eucalypts. Uh-huh. I, I can't specifically say what particular eucalypt, but yeah. we know they're eucalypts. Mm-hmm. I understand it's pretty horrible to, uh, or difficult, more to the point, to uh, to transplant them. Yep. So what I wanted to do do this morning was to confirm a detail that I've heard. I've heard that um, about a month, or sh- a month or so before you wish to transplant, you uh, say it's only seedling, maybe, I don't know, uh, a couple of feet high at the most. Mm. Uh, it's not going to have a very broad, um, the foliage is not going to be very broad sort of around the main stem. And I've heard what you can do is with a shovel, uh, dig around uh, the spread of the foliage Yep. Like stick a stick a shovel down mm-hmm. into the soil and then uh, leave it for about a month and then dig that whole kind of clod out after about a month's time and then transplant that. So I wanted to find out if um, that will actually work or not. Oh, look, it may work, Peter. I, I'd say it's probably easier to get some seed and grow young plants. <laughs> I was going to suggest that. Um, you know, look, they might have success and... Uh, you know, they can transplant huge eucalypts, which they did for the Forest Gallery in the museum. If you've been in, they were all transplanted. Oh, it can be done. And if they're river red gums, I'd say you'd have a better success because they can, uh, you know, cut all the foliage off those and just pull them out and just uh, the, the roots, they even prune the roots back just so it looks a bit like a carrot at the base and then replant and they regrow. But uh, I, I would suggest, look, if you want to have a go, yeah, you could do do that now. Um, well, now's the time to do now, it. Exactly. Now's the time to do it, and then, sure. and even to do the transplanting, I'd say even late July, um, and at that stage, maybe some new roots are starting to grow. But um, I just wish you luck. But 
um, I'd say gets, collect some seed at the same time and sow the seed now and you'll have young seedlings in uh, September, October, ready for planting out and they'll probably be, you know, anything between uh, 10 and 20 centimetres high. So that's yeah, the way I, I'd go. I, I, I hear you saying that, Roger, but I want to... Uh, I want to Try transplanting. Oh, you look. Have a go. As, as, as said, has said a uh, friend who's got the property. He's got a whole bunch of these seedlings coming and coming up all over the place. And, yeah, and yeah. they're only a nuisance for him. Okay. So no, look. He's, he's dug them out and tried to transplant, but hasn't had any success. Surprise. Mm. Even yeah. after you've dug down, yep. uh, you can get a thing called plant starter, and uh, even to water them in with plant starter and even a bit of uh, seaweed type oh, yeah. stuff. You can do that now. After you've cut cut down and uh, and just see what happens. Is there any um, research as to why these plants are so difficult to transplant? Uh, it's just mainly because if if the root damage occurs, um, and and they've just wended their way through the soil, you know, which could be quite hard and dry sometimes, mm. and uh, and a lot of their little feeder roots go all over the place mm. while they're young. Um, yeah, but it, look, it, it can be done. So it's mainly shock then, you're saying? Yeah, yeah and, right. and aftercare. Yeah, okay. Right. So then that would, that would add weight, I suppose, to the, uh, the uh, detail that I heard, which is to um, just vertically stick a shovel down around the, the root ball. It's called yeah. trenching. Yeah, Sorry. yeah. Yeah, so you're trenching them to encourage fibre root to reform again. Mm. And it's a very common thing done with European and North American trees but it's not something that you see done so often. The trouble with transplanting our native trees too is that a lot of them get such a shock when they're transplanted they take 12-18 months to even get their act back together again and what Roger suggested about the seedlings is the fact that they're not being checked so they in fact keep going really well whereas the transplants sometimes take quite a long time to re-establish. But let us know how you go. Well we'll see what happens. I mean Mm. as I said uh, my mate's got these trees coming up all over the place mm, mm-hmm, and they're mm-hmm. just nuisances where they are yeah and even after transplanting once again put some plant starter on that'll just help promote some root growth you know with some maybe some seaweed and uh, and see how you go peter would you think ph change i mean i don't intend to move these trees very far from uh uh where they've where they've come from um, well yeah look if it's going to be where my friend might want to take them as yeah, well but uh, i'd imagine the soil ph wouldn't change, change well very much. it can it can change quite dramatically or just from yeah so it depends on what type of soil they're in now and where they're going because that that'll also be part of the shock system uh, they'd be they'd be same provenance if i can put it like that 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 they've uh, they'd be being replanted not very far from okay. where they'd, where they'd taken. Right. Well, have a go and let us know yeah, how you we'll go. Do. All, right. All right, well, then we'll see how we go. And thanks for that information. Good okay. Bye. 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 Cheers. If, if I could just add that plant that Roger, that sorry, product that Roger mentioned called Plant Starter, if anyone is also interested in, is designed to promote root development. It's not designed to make your little plant yeah, grow, grow like six Matt. inches <laughs> taller in two weeks no, or anything. It, it's got some hormones which mm. are similar to what you use on propagation powders or liquids, mm. you know, if you're doing cutting. So, mm. yeah. Roger, that actually um, leads us nicely into into uh, the Friends of uh, Cranbourne, um, oh, and they've got their next uh, workshop they're, coming they're, up. Their Aussie Backyard Trees Workshop, and Absolutely. it was good with Stephen bringing in conifers because we've got Alistair Watt talking, and Alistair is a, a mad, keen gymnosperm 
person yes. of, of all yes. the conifer He did fans. actually for a while. Uh, they got an Australian Conifer Society up and running, but there was only a handful of members. Uh, it that's not last. going now? No, no. It went on for a few years. I joined up when Alistair first started yeah. the organisation, but it looked like he was going to have to do everything. Oh, okay. <laughs> and so it sort of faded after a while. But yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, he's got an amazing uh, arboretum oh. out of oh. Lavers Hill. It's just oh, that's remarkable. Right. Yeah. Anyway, uh, the idea of the of the workshop is to uh, talk about other trees than just eucalypts and acacias and things like that. So it's it's looking into the whole range of, uh, of Australian trees, especially for backyard planting. Depends on your size of your backyard, but also front yard too. But um, so there'll be things like casuarinas. There's going to be quite a lot of emphasis put on those, which there's some wonderful plants in that that group, and a range of other. You know, plants is uh, a lot of good Australian trees which aren't grown very much, and uh, so yeah, just to to uh, bring people up to date with some of the things you know, firewall trees and and some of the protea family which you don't see Buckingham is people don't grow much which they're at the zoo the other day and they're just in full bloom, mm-hmm. and you can lovely. smell them as you come in the gate. They've got this lovely slightly caramel perfume so Mm -hmm. things like that um david cancel who's uh his expertise is in fossils so he's going to tell us more or less about the development of these trees and and what happened and also some of the work they're doing in the botanic gardens as far as the value of trees as carbon sinks i suppose so that uh and uh greg moore will be talking about the importance of uh, of tree plantings in the melbourne region and uh, there's going to be even a bonsai person talking about some of these trees you can make small if you haven't got room. <laughs> right, there so, you go. And, uh, yeah, so uh, th- there's a whole range of things. That's on April the 30th, Sunday. Or was it Saturday or Sunday? Sorry. Sunday. It's a Sunday, April the 30th. And uh, there are, there are, there's a charge. It's a full-day workshop. And uh, so non-members of the Friends are $65. Students are $30. Members are sixty dollars, but if you want uh, further information on that, eight double seven four two four eight three. Excellent. Okay. All right. Let's uh, try and get through a few more of these callers. First up, we have uh, Jill from the Herb Society. Good morning, Jill. Good morning, Pam, Roger, Gwen, and Steve. Hi, Jill. Um, Roger, can I ask? I've got a hypocalima. Uh huh. And it's all straggly. Should yeah, they they can do it? that. Yeah, that all your flowers for the next spring will be on those long stems. Oh right. So after flowering, right. you cut can cut, cut it as hard as you like. Okay. And um, yes, there, there. I think I've overwatered them over winter. Cause have they, you? Yeah. yeah. I, I noticed we've got one at home too, uh, which was supposed to be the low form, but it's not a low form. But there are a range of different heights in the hypercalima and gustafolium. It's uh, yeah. uh, peach myrtle sometimes it's called, uh, yeah. white myrtle. Um, yeah, so, but uh, wait wait till the flowers. Yep. Use the flowers indoors, I'm, good oh, cut flowers, right. and uh, you'll be pruning at the same time. Oh, great. Love that. Um, could I tell what's happening on Thursday night, sure. April the 6th, please? Um, the Herb Society is having me speak on making Shakespeare gardens, you know, using the plants that are mentioned in Shakespeare's plays and sonnets. And so I've created a, a projection thing. And then I'll take quite a few of the unusual, well, more unusual plants, you know, like hops and you and um, 
uh, juniper and so on, you know, so that people can actually see how they look, how they grow. Yeah. So that's uh, 7.30 on uh, at Burnley in room, the main building, the cream building in uh, room 10. Um, and you enter via the door that's got the steel ramp. And so I'll speak about 8, I suppose, and the meeting starts at 7.30. And we're having a hot cross bun supper. <laughs> right. In anticipation of Easter. So. Okay. And I don't think there'll be any chocolate ones. I think they'll be the, the original ones. Nothing wrong with the classic hot cross no, bun. What no. are the crosses made out of? <laughs> it's made out of... Um, uh, pastry, I think, yeah. or the dough that doesn't have yeast um, in it. That's something. right, Unle- yes. unleavened. Un- yeah. Unleavened, yeah. yes. unleavened yeast, uh, mm. yes, bread. Yeah, um, and uh, we've, I'll also be taking quite a few plants uh, for people to buy at a very cheap rate, you know, things I've propagated. So I'm trying to depot at my place, and I've got too much to, to look after, so I'm taking pots that I've, you know, propagated myself to, to sell at, you know, $3, something like that. Okay. okay. Excellent. Thanks for all of that, Jill. That's all right, Pam. Bye. All the best. Bye. I want to quickly mention, uh, because I did mention this quite early in the program, uh we do still have uh, two free double passes to give away, one to the Cottage Garden in Glen Waverley for next weekend and one for Elion in uh, Ferguson Street in Upway, 59 Ferguson Street in Upway. If uh, we have a listener who hasn't received one of these uh, free double passes before, if you'd like to phone into Vicky now on 94190155, um, you can be allocated one of those free double passes to be posted out to you before next weekend. All right, uh, let's go next to uh, Robert out in Mitcham. Good morning, Robert. Thanks for waiting. Yes, good morning, all of you. Uh, with all this discussion this morning about uh, native trees and uh, native pines and things like that, made me think of a couple of questions. We've got uh, a dwarf mountain pine that we bought from Karanga some time ago. It's mm-hmm. sitting in a, a small pot that's about a foot high. Yep. New growth is going along quite happily. Should we plant it in the ground or should we leave it in a bigger pot? And if so, what sort of soil should we put in it? You can do do either. It's fine. I, you know, we've we've got some at home. The the low prost, well, semi prostrate. Um, Plum pine, mountain pine, um, and they're fine in the soil. They're, they're, they're quite happy. They're tough, adaptable, and uh, so it's for people wanting the name, botanical name, it's Podocarpus lawrencii, L-A-W-R-E-N-C-E-I, and uh, they're th- lovely, lovely plants. Can I interrupt there yeah. for a moment? yep. The, the, the ticket on mine is oh. a microstrobus. Oh, fine. Dog. Sorry, sorry. I'm yeah. leading you up the garden yes, path. it's a different genera altogether. With, with That's the, where common names yeah. become a little bit thingy. Well, Stephen will tell you all about the microstrobus. Yes, well, the microstrobus actually might need a little bit of a moister spot than <laughs> yeah. the plum, than <laughs> the, right. the potocarpus would have done. Yeah. Um, 
Actually, I think the microstrobus and the microcacius and all of those, I think, are probably better in pots because you can keep them reasonably well watered and you can move them around if you need to. So you can put them into a shadier spot for the summer. You can lift them out into the sun for the winter and what have you. They're slow enough growing that they will last in a big pot for years. You could even semi-bonsai them. We seem to have been talking a lot about bonsai Mm -hmm. things this this morning so uh you could even sort of root prune them a bit and keep them in a comparatively small pot if needs be um but they do come from very damp cool conditions in the wild so unless you've got conditions like that out in the garden i think they'd be safer in pots Mm. and i'd use just a good quality commercial potting mix you don't have to buy anything specifically special for them i'd I'd agree with that Stephen. as far as for microstropus for sure if in in this this region, yeah. yeah, yes, yes. So unless you live up in the Dandenongs or mm, mm. you know right over in the east of Victoria somewhere, I would suggest that you keep them as pot plants, and they'll last for donkey's years. They'll probably last longer than you will. Yeah, well, at my age, that's quite likely. <laughs> <laughs> what? Stop buying green bananas, have we? <laughs> No, we still buy green bananas. <laughs> yeah, well, that's good. I'm glad to hear that. Um, yeah, so I think tub plants is what I'd use a lot of those, you know, damp climate, high-altitude conifers for. I don't think they, generally speaking, make good garden plants. So I wouldn't increase the pot size very much? Uh, look, you could pot them up into a comparatively larger pot, which would last them for donkey's years. Modern potting mixes tend to drain quite well, and you don't have the same issues as you used to have with soil-based potting mixes where you needed to pot things on one pot size at a time. So you could go up into a slightly larger pot but i think the thing with it is is to get is, is to plant it in a pot where there is still some sense of scale between the plant and the pot you don't want to put it in such a big pot yeah, that there's yeah, little yeah. wee things sitting in the middle of it looking stupid can it grow, grow from cuttings yeah they can be grown from cuttings they're slow You've got to be patient with the cuttings, but yeah, but most of these um, most of these uh, Australian conifers that I grow, I do raise from cuttings, uh, but they are quite a long term process. So if you are getting close to the green banana issue, well, perhaps you don't. But um, uh, I've had some conifers I've grown. Um, carries from cuttings, and they took eighteen months, two years to even start mm. forming roots. Right. You know, so it can be a long-term process with some of these plants. But it can be fun to do. I mean, you know, it's not like you've got a commercial imperative. You're just doing it for the pleasure of doing it. Um, And so, yeah, why not? There you go. Okay, a further question, if I may. Yep. Yes. On a uh, Bacchiasia citradora. Yes. We had one, well, we we still have one, Mm -hmm. in a reasonably large pot. It was left in a pot uh, because we were still deciding where to plant it. And uh, it was about six foot high and it uh, got damaged from a, uh, a branch that fell from a tree next door. Yeah. Uh, spliced it up for a while and that uh, it lingered on but ultimately we, we, we cut back the damage and it's still sitting in the pot. Needs to go into the ground. Mm-hmm. A good position for it? Oh yeah, look um, they'll, they'll tolerate quite a wide range of conditions. Um, if you give a spot... Where it gets a bit of protection from really hot winds, but I, I, I know of a magnificent plant sitting out facing north, mm. and uh, you know, so they're quite adaptable. And they're they, a bit shade tolerant too, aren't they? Yeah, they will tolerate. Yeah, yeah so they, it's yeah. really interesting that they'll go over such yeah. a wide spectrum. Yeah, and they're a plant that you can prune as hard as you like, too. Well, it, it, it seems to have uh, t- taken up from where I had to cut a uh, fairly significant branch out of it uh, yeah yeah uh, that, that seems to be doing doing well yeah yeah. Uh, yeah but how do they cope with frost uh, 
heavy frosts, there will be some damage, but they come back. They do come back. Yeah, That's we right. we had one frosted in in quite a frost hollow where we are at Berwick um, last last winter, and uh, it looked pretty dreadful for a while, uh, but um, it it came back and it, it's fine now. Contemplating planting uh, some up at Ballarat, where it, yeah, that, it yeah. might be pushing it in Ballarat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if they had a bit of protection from the frost, but they, yeah, they, the they wouldn't have much much protection. No, no, oh, no. It might be a bit susceptible there. But uh, there you go. Yeah. And just one food. I think we have finally got a couple of flowers on our firewheel tree. Oh, wonderful! Oh, wonderful. That's and right. stunning little creatures. Oh, <laughs> yes. Oh, well done. Good foliage tree too, though. Oh, yeah. I, I think they're beautiful in foliage. Any okay. of those sort of brachychitony sort of mm. groups of plants, stenocarpuses, all those sort of things, those sort of almost, well, they are subtropical plants yeah. that we have mm. in our native flora. They they look so unlike our classical native flora oh, yeah. that they stand out anywhere you plant them. And, yeah. and they're pretty adaptable, you know. Mm. And once again at this workshop that's being held on April 30th, we'll talk about brachychitons and things mm. like that. So, But um, there was one tree just in the lake in at Mifkus start oh, had yes. flowers on it and people were... Looking at it, yeah, trying to work, around, trying, trying to work, to work out, out what it was. Yeah. <laughs> and they said it's a firewheel tree. Oh, oh, oh! Well, they said <laughs> so. they are. They're a magnificent flower. Yeah. Oh, wonderful! There you go. All right, folks. Thank you very much for that. Okay, good, good on you, Robert. Bye. Bye. All right. Uh, next up, we have uh, Frank out in Craigieburn. Good morning, Frank. Hello there. Good morning, Frank. I'll uh, I'll. Uh, You'll have to be fairly quick, Frank. I'll be, I'll be, I'll be as long as I can because I want you to get your breath back. <laughs> you know, like, like that chap we had the Lord of Apples. Yep. I've got a Lord of Prickly Pears. Okay. I've never, it's the tree, I was given this tree about a decade ago. Mm-hmm. And up till now, the birds have eaten them, but the birds are keeping away from them this year and the wasps. Okay. I'll give you a word of warning when you pick the woods. If anyone interested in prickly pears, yep. we're, we're good doves. Yeah, because they've got nasty little prickles that go straight oh, into your skin. Oh, yeah, yes, I've found that out. And make sure you peel them before you eat them too. <laughs> of course, of course. Now then, uh, any, do you think there's any reason why the birds and, and whatnot are keeping away from them this year? No. I'll, I'll... Look, it varies from year to year with what they'll take. As I said, my quince tree's been left this year, yeah, and the last yeah, four yeah. years I've yeah, I've yeah. not got a quince, um, and yet they cleaned up my apples and my nashies. Uh, I got pears off my pear tree, which I don't always get. Yeah. Uh, I got virtually no nectarines. Uh, the only the reason cleaned... I can think of is maybe there's other gluts, uh, you know, other... other uh, That's uh, right. So they've gone elsewhere. They, yeah. they want a varied I, diet. Let you go. Let you go. Mm. Okay. Up. All right, good on you. Bye. And uh, we have uh, Sarah, who's in Dallas. Good morning, Sarah. Good morning to 3CR and the Indigenous community. Uh, I just noticed that um, at the market, the fruit is very, uh, like a, has no smell. The fruit should smell like a perfume but has no good smell, nothing, like a plastic. Yeah, that's because and, most uh, fruit at the... Sarah, that's because most fruit at the market is picked green and then after ripened. And that's why it doesn't have much smell because it hasn't been ripened on the tree. Yeah, I, I, I think they also gas them. They put them under gas Look, to make them ripe. 
some fruit are possibly done that way, but a lot of fruit won't be. Uh, but they just pick too 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 unripe. They and need to be left on the tree so that the natural sugars develop in yeah. the in the fruit and the vegetables. Mm. I yeah. mean that's uh, greedy to uh, it's dam- they damage the fruit. Well, it's it, it's a commercial decision. I mean they they're trying to yeah. make a profit. And most of us who are in this studio and elsewhere, grow we grow our, our own. own. Yeah, for exactly yeah, so. that reason. Uh, yeah, and the, the banana also getting so much big, and 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 the people why? I I mean why? I mean why people keep ignoring? Uh, because most people aren't educated to anything that has to do with the food they put in their mouths, and so uh, they just buy it because it's there and they need food. They don't and think I things through. I tell you, the potato, all kinds of potato, is sour. Mm. Even yep. at the, I bought it from organic shop and it's still sour. Yep. Now you you really you really can't go past growing your own, Sarah. That's the way to to get mm. around. And that's the why whole we're problem. here is to help people grow their own. Okay. Thanks for your call. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Stephen, we've oh, you have got time, time to get quickly, back to your. The last of the conifers I bought along is also you know. A name that people know but probably haven't seen the plant, and that's the King Billy Pine. Although I laughed, it wasn't that long ago I saw an article on this particular tree in a European journal, I think it was an English journal, and they called it the King William oh. Pine oh. Uh, because obviously <laughs> King Billy was, yeah, yes, yeah, so they, they properised the name. Correct. <laughs> yes, they were very correct, which made me giggle. Um, the The... The plant comes from a genus called Athrotaxis, and I guess it depends on who you believe as to how many species there are, because some will tell you there's three species, some will tell you there are two species and a hybrid. So there's the King Billy, which is Selaginoides, and then there's the Pencil Pine, which is Capressioides, and the other species, if it's a species, is Laxifolia, and if it isn't a species, it's still Laxifolia, but it could be a hybrid between the other two. And they're slow-growing conifers that, again, make really good tub specimens. Uh, I've seen them sort of three metres tall in a comparatively small tub and still perfectly healthy and happy. They don't seem to root bound very easily. Um, And it has sort of spiky looking, although not particularly spiky, but sort of spiky looking needly foliage that sort of sticks out slightly. And it makes quite an interesting upright but rather rustic looking conifer. And I think the King Billy is actually quite a charming plant for a garden plant. So it's something a little different. um, and, uh, And it's sort of... I don't know. Again, it makes a good conversation piece in a garden. Um, if you see the trees in Tasmania as large specimens, you might think twice about planting one, but mm. they're probably several hundred years old, so you won't live long enough. So, um, And that's the same with a lot of these things. They're slow growing. You're not planting them with the idea of getting a tree. You're planting them with the idea of having the species, enjoying the plant as a young plant, uh, maybe passing it on as a family heirloom in due course, uh, but you'll never swing a hammock from any of these things. So, you know, you buy them for that. They're not to hide you from the neighbours or anything like that. They're to have as interesting, almost um, uh, heirloomy plants uh, of ancient lineage of the Australian continent. So mm. I think they're well worth looking at. Excellent. So please do. Excellent. Mm, and uh, Gwen or Roger, one of you has brought in an, another little plant that we haven't mentioned. Oh, look, well, a lot of things are in flower at the moment. Roger's been talking about non flower. Oh, yeah, I've got a few flowers. Lots of okay. Yeah, uh, but uh, of well, you've let me down now. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I could talk about scleranthus. Yeah, oh, yes, yeah. Oh, that's a good idea. Yes. Um, flannel flowers? I love um, them. I think they're just the most wonderful flowers. Would yeah. I grow them up my way, though? 
I've just, not tried, but I'd say you'd have a chance. You reckon? Yeah, yeah I'd I give reckon. it a crack at one because, time. Give it a know, try. They're gorgeous. Yeah. Um, the, the, these are seedlings which just come up in our finger lime. Uh, water oh, well really? Can, yeah, water well <laughs> really? container. Okay. Yeah. I had some other plants nearby and, and they've come up and uh, they're now nearly three years old, which is quite amazing because sometimes they only last a couple of years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, but, and I was just about to chop them out, but they've come back into flowering. So people don't know flannel flowers. They look daisy-like and they're called flannel flowers because the, the petals. Yeah, they're um, flannelly. Flannelly and they're... Nearly pure white, not quite pure white, creamy white with little green tips on the thing, but uh, they're just great things to have. And when the flowers close up, that's when the seed is ripening and you can gather... They almost look like little tulips when yeah, they're closed, that, don't right. they? <laughs> they do, or even... Um, other things. Oh, Fritillarius. Yeah, yeah Fritillarius. Fritillarius sitting up the wrong way. Yeah. Um, and that's when the seed's ripening in there and you can just uh, pick... pick get the seed and spread it around. Sometimes older seed or aged seed does better than, uh, than, than fresh, fresh seed. seed. Well, that's okay. interesting because it's yeah. normally the other way around with yeah. most yeah. plants. Because yeah. often after fires in some areas, the flannel flowers can just come up in there, millions, and the, the seed's been there for quite a while. Right. So, yeah. And the other one, very quickly? Another, I should say flannel flowers, New South Wales, Queensland. Yep. And this is a malaluca called Thymophilia, New South Wales, Queensland's. Eastern coast, a plant that will dry out, it can get waterlogged, and it will flower from spring, and it's still going now. Mm. How dare Mo- it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's outrageous. That's and, great. And it's just got a lovely floral arrangement. They're claw- like claws. But, um, good shade of mauve, too. It's yeah. a rich... I was just going to say, it hasn't mentioned the I, I was just going to mention it. Yeah, we, oh, we, we preempted you. can you, get pink and you can get white. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it's just a small plant, may get a metre or so, prune it back hard. If you prune it back too hard, you've got to wait because the flowers tend to be on the older wood. Yep. Mm-hmm. But it, it's a really tough thing. Was in favour 20 years ago. Yes. Same old story. Yeah, yep. they disappear. It doesn't flower in pots. Yeah, oh, yes. And if it doesn't yeah. present well in a pot, a lot of mm-hmm. plants look a bit scruffy and ordinary in a pot. Okay, we have run out of time for yet another week. You've been listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. In the studio this morning, we've had Stephen Ryan from Dixonia Rare Plants, Gwen and Roger Elliott, uh, our uh, Australian native plant gurus, and, uh, of course, we will be back uh, next week at 7.30. Until then, bye for now. 